0: Joe Biden was grinning like a Cheshire cat. His smug smile will not last. The president's gloating over the midterm election results will not stop a House investigation into Hunter Biden's influence peddling schemes that netted the Biden family tens of millions of dollars from foreign interests. And the federal courts have already shut down his student loan forgiveness scam as yet another of Joe Biden's nakedly unconstitutional abuses of power. Other congressional probes will also launch in January. Biden's Afghanistan debacle, his administration's secret censorship program, an insidious cover-up of the pandemic's origins and systemic corruption at the FBI. All of these investigations are expected to expose political malfeasance that has become endemic under Joe Biden's stewardship. Joe can take a victory lap for now if he wants, but his crowing will be short-lived. While Republicans did not gain a substantial majority in the lower chamber, 218 members, that's enough to wrestle control from Democrats who have been stonewalling legitimate hearings into government wrongdoing. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is The
1: Brief with Greg Jarrett.
0: Billionaire investor Michael Pento has a warning for you. Don't listen to anyone who tells you how bad the crash will be and when it exactly will happen. Nobody knows. But the CEO of Wells Fargo warns the worst is yet to come for Americans. Pay attention to the economic data. Inflation is at a 40-year high. And make no mistake about it, the recession is real. No matter how the White House tries to change the definition. That's why Bloomberg, Goldman Sachs, and Jim Cramer are all calling for gold to surge. Gold and silver have historically moved opposite the stock market and in the long term can preserve your purchasing power. Call 800-809-8500 and Lear Capital, the number one rated gold company, will present the same trusted options they have been giving successful investors since 1997. At Lear Capital, most IRA rollovers qualify for no IRA fees for up to five years. Their current incentive offers up to $15,000 in bonus silver for well-qualified new customers. A three-minute call can protect your portfolio with the power of real physical gold. Call 800-809-8500 today. Again, that's 800-809-8500 and tell them Greg Jarrett sent you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. President Biden's loan cancellation order issued just weeks in advance of the November election ranks as one of the most brazen acts of vote buying in modern politics. It's unclear just how many indebted borrowers voted for his party in gratitude, but it was lawless from beginning to end. Not that Joe would ever care. Last year, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi warned Biden he had no power to cancel student debt. That's not even a discussion, she said. Notably, the president did not disagree. He well knew that he had no authority to transfer a half a trillion dollars in debt to taxpayers with a wave of a pen. Only Congress has the ability to do that under its tax and spend powers embedded in the Constitution. But typically, Joe did it anyway, for the sole purpose of ginning up the vote for Democrats on November 8th. It was the equivalent of sticking money in the pockets of borrowers in exchange for casting ballots a certain way. In public remarks, Biden pretended that Congress voted to approve his actions. There was no such vote only evidence of Joe's delusion or dementia, probably both. To accomplish his constitutional end run, Joe invented a phony pretext, claiming there was an ongoing national emergency caused by the pandemic. It was a laughable excuse because Biden declared the pandemic was over during a 60 Minutes interview. Even worse, his administration argued in court in a different case involving border security, the COVID-19 emergency had passed. And the CDC agreed. So which is it, Joe? You can't have it both ways. Even the core of Biden's pretense was an obvious charade. He cited the 2003 HEROES Act involving national emergencies. But wait a minute. That law applies only to military personnel, not a broad class of students who never served. Moreover, nowhere in the statute does it encompass the rescinding of loans. Predictably, two U.S. district courts put a halt to Biden's abuse of power. It was an easy call. A Texas judge ruled that the president flatly violated the Constitution by acting unilaterally and on a fictive basis. The judge blocked the debt relief program nationwide by writing, quote, in this country, we are not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone. Instead, we're ruled by a constitution that provides for three distinct and independent branches of government. End of quote. In the meantime, the US Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals issued another decision that also invalidated Biden's actions. Already his Department of Education is thrown in the towel by announcing it will no longer accept applications for debt cancellation. And why should they? The election's over. No need for Joe to make good on a promise after the votes are in. He got what he wanted. Biden of course will appeal to the US Supreme Court. That's just for show. He stands no chance of prevailing. But taking it to SCOTUS will serve an even greater political purpose for Biden. When he loses, the president will once again rail against the high court and demand that Democrats alter its structure. It's demagoguery run amok and an insult to the law and Constitution. Even more malevolent is how the Bidens have banked tens of millions of dollars by selling out America to foreign governments and businesses. The president's 'er ne'er-do-well son, Hunter Biden, was the point person for the Biden family's criminal enterprises. To wit, selling access and influence to Russia, China, Ukraine, Romania, Kazakhstan, and several other countries over which his dad exerted clout. Evidence show that the Russians forked over $40 million to the Bidens, while the Chinese paid more than $30 million to Hunter and his enterprises. A paltry $11 million came courtesy of the Ukrainians. Other figures suggest that more than $100 million poured into the Biden coffers with Joe as an expected beneficiary. The evidence on the laptop alone incriminates the father as complicit in his son's schemes. And it's ludicrous for Joe to claim, oh, I knew nothing about these nefarious dealings, never spoke with Hunter about it. Photographs and emails contradict that. And so do visitor logs showing that the elder Biden met constantly with his son's partners during the Obama administration. One of them logged... 19 visits to the White House to meet with Joe. Thus far, Biden's chief sycophants and suck-ups, Attorney General Merrick Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray, have been running a protection racket to fend off any serious criminal consequences. But a cavalcade of whistleblowers have courageously stepped forward to reveal the political bias that has infected the various federal investigations that were effectively shut down. Anyone else would have been charged long ago with fraud, bribery, influence peddling, tax evasion, and violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, as well as the Foreign Agents Registration Act. Tossing in racketeering, and you've got a veritable smorgasbord of crimes. Democrats have narrowly held on to power in the U.S. Senate, but the House appears to have reversed course. Even a slim majority will give committee chairmanships to Republicans and critical subpoena power. Several GOP leaders have vowed to commence an immediate investigation into Hunter and Joe Biden's multi million dollar payola schemes. The evidence amassed so far is compelling. Oversight is a critical duty and function of Congress. Americans expect and deserve honesty in public officials. When our elected leaders enrich themselves while jeopardizing national security in the process, trust in government is lost. Without accountability, respect for the rule of law vanishes. Joining me now to talk about it is Joe Concha, Fox News contributor. He covers the media and politics. He's also the author of a terrific book that just came out recently. Uh, It's entitled, Come On, Man, The Truth Behind Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency. Joe, uh, thanks for being with us. Love the title uh, of the book. And, you know, I think it's dead on. Um, And before we get to- Well, yeah, it really did, didn't it? Yeah. Um, before we get to to talking about Trump and the and the midterms in earnest, let me let me ask you just a couple of questions. Assuming Republicans regain control of the House, even by a slim majority, mm-hmm. um, shouldn't Joe Biden be worried about the coming investigation that's promised by GOP leaders into Hunter Biden's? influence peddling schemes. I mean, they these GOP leaders have been gathering pretty damning evidence behind the scenes for months now, uh, but uh, they will soon have committee control and importantly,
1: subpoena power. Should Biden be worried? In a sane world, if we had an objective media, Greg, then he should be petrified because here you're dealing with a laptop and not a he said He said, she said sort of situations based on unnamed sources who are close to this person who say this. These emails have been verified. They are very, very real. And they are very, very damning, right? Because they show influence peddling in places like China and Ukraine, where the president's son profited bigly. And the problem for Biden is, as in Joe or as in his brother James, is that these emails seem to indicate that they profited as well which means we could be asking the sort of questions like, is a sitting president of the United States compromised by our biggest enemy in China? Is he compromised by Ukraine? Is that the reason why we're giving him so many billions upon billions of dollars, one of the most corrupt countries in the world? I mean, no one likes what Russia did here, clearly. I mean, Vladimir Putin's a a complete evil maniac, and you root for the Ukrainians to win. But at the same time, Are we compromised in that country as well, based on the president's son's dealings and all the profits that came in to the family, perhaps, potentially? Those are the questions that are going to be asked during these hearings. But we're not going to get the January 6th treatment. Now, are we, Greg, where we have a situation where primetime programming is dropped and all of cable news drops all of their programming to show uninterrupted footage uninterrupted coverage of these hearings, of witnesses being questioned. No, of course we won't. And what you'll end up getting is most of the media saying that this is just a political witch hunt that should be ignored. It's being done for partisan purposes. Instead of the media actually doing their job, scrutinizing what happened in these emails, And trying to get to what is the truth around how this affects the country and our president in particular. So, if we had a great media, if we had a media that truly held the powerful accountable without fear or favor to party, I'd say, yeah, the president should be worried. But I think in the end, this is going to be portrayed as some sort of political exercise. But then again, if the evidence is so damning and we have more evidence come forward as a result of what was initially on this laptop, then it may become so big that. Our media can't ignore it, but uh, I'm just not holding any, any hope out right now that we're going to see that.
0: I mean, this is a case that, I mean, the evidence seems compelling of, of influence peddling, fraud, bribery, uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, uh, Foreign Agents Registration Act violations. Anybody else would, there'd be a long line of criminal charges against them and convictions. Um, what I, and I'll make a prediction here. I think what's going to happen, uh, now that the election of the midterms is over, there's going to be a sweetheart deal that's, that will be revealed where Hunter Biden simply, you know, uh, pleads to back taxes, pays them because he's loaded with money from foreign interests and, uh, oh, you know, he might, uh, plead to the gun, uh, falsification uh, charge and get probation and so forth. And that will allow Democrats and Joe Biden to say, oh, it's already been taken care of. There's no need for this uh, committee. It's just a
1: witch hunt. I, I I guarantee you that's in the works. That sounds v- insanely accurate, <laughs> what you're just predicting, right, right? It's a slap on the li- li- wrist. It, it makes the committee... Start to grasp for straws, or at least in the eyes of the public and the eyes of the media. Boy, I, I I can't argue with that. That 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 sounds like uh, certainly the way this could very well go. I, I was at a conference in Arizona over the past weekend, and um, somebody, one of the speakers there, had a great line. He says, "You know." Republicans run on policy and Democrats run on politics. And it's true. They're they're better at politics than, than Republicans are, <laughs> that I've learned. Yeah. And, and I can see them uh, yeah, playing this just the right way, just like they did with the student loans, right? And I, I know you want to talk about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, talk about brazen political corruption. Biden's student loan forgiveness gambit was, in my judgment, one of the most blatant, shameless vote-buying maneuvers ever by an American president. He had no authority to do it on his own, and he knew it. I mean, that's clearly a function of Congress under the Constitution, tax and spend. And as expected, federal courts have now shut it down as a lawless abuse of power. But, you know, Joe, uh, the damage is done. There's no telling how many votes were influenced by it. Borrowers who voted for Biden's party in sheer gratitude. And there's a disturbing pattern here. This president routinely holds the Constitution in contempt. He acts unilaterally, usurping the authority of Congress only to get reversed by the courts. I mean, his immigration moratorium on, on deportations struck down. Race-based federal farm program struck down. COVID relief uh, was gender and race-based struck down. Vaccine mandates struck down. Uh, he unilaterally halted oil and gas leases struck down. Eviction moratorium struck down. His manipulation of the First Step Act, that was overwhelmingly struck down. In in all of these cases. Uh, Biden admitted in advance, Joe, that he had no authority to act on his own, and then he proceeded to act on his own. So what does that tell us?
1: I, I just love the fact that Republicans are always attacked for being a threat to democracy. Look at all the things you just listed, <laughs> right? I mean, right. this was thank you, Constitution, I guess is what, what I, uh, I'm trying to say here, because clearly, from as you said, from the minute this thing was announced, there is no way that you could convince anybody who is sane and sober, again, people that just look at this stuff objectively and say, oh, well, this is being done under a COVID emergency. And it's funny because the same week the president announced student loan forgiveness, I believe he was on 60 Minutes saying that the pandemic was over, like <laughs> he downed his right. own case. But I know to your point, he never had any intention of winning this case. It was just a matter of getting to the election and getting enough young people out to halt the gains of republicans and it worked it worked tremendously because when you look at the vote exit polls you see that young people turned out for these midterms like we have never seen before and i'm sure some of that had to do with abortion and a lot of that had to do with student loan forgiveness even those that weren't getting student loan forgiveness probably saw who don't pay attention to the news very much a magnanimous president who's just trying to help out people who are in need and then the funny thing is even if, if this thing did pass 50% of the loans were going to folks that either uh, were going for master's or or advanced degrees. In other words, people that become doctors or lawyers who, when they get into the real world, can very well pay this back. Greg, you've met my wife. You've met my kids, actually, as well. And you know my wife is a doctor. And for 15 years... She had to pay back her student loan so she could pay her way through medical school because her dad had a heart attack, a massive one when he was 37. He worked in manual labor and he couldn't earn the way that he wanted to. So she basically had to pay her way completely through Georgetown, then through medical school. I don't think she's getting a retroactive check, however, of forgiveness from the Biden administration. <laughs> and that's what pisses so many people off about this.
0: Yeah. Um, your wife's a remarkable person and uh, and good for her. You know, she made a commitment and she fulfilled the commitment. And I mean, you know, you sign a contract when you borrow money that you're going to repay it. That's it. Uh, But, you know, Joe Biden to buy votes, you know, wanted to uh, cancel it all. Uh, Let's talk to more broadly about the election outcome. Uh, Gerard Baker in the Wall Street Journal had a provocative and uh, perhaps incisive take on it. He said, Voters in the midterms had a choice. Biden's progressive agenda or Trump's stop the steal obsession. And they chose the lesser of two evils, meaning that in Baker's opinion, Trump did more harm than good in the midterm. Trump's election deniers and acolytes that that he selected as candidates, they were all for the most part routed. What's your
1: take on it? Well- I think we saw Trump's record in the primaries. Trump is, a, in terms of his endorsements, if you're in a primary and he endorses you as a candidate, boy, his record is like nothing we have ever seen before. The problem is when you get to the general and you have these underwhelming candidates and look, Dr. Oz was never getting anywhere near Pennsylvania's Republican nomination for Senate without the Trump endorsement. You look at the polls well beforehand, he was down like 15 points to McCormick who probably would have given Fetterman a much better fight, probably would have won, I would think, because think about what Fetterman's lines were when he actually was able to put together a coherent sentence, which was basically, Dr. Oz is a rich guy who's on TV a lot, who's doing this for vanity, who's a Jersey guy. And trust me, as a Jersey guy, Greg Jared. People from Pennsylvania hate us, and it's vice versa, believe me. I hate the Eagles, and I hate the Flyers, and I hate the Phillies, <laughs> all right? And they hate us. So when somebody comes in, it's not like Hillary Clinton going into New York where it's like, yay, open arms, you could be our senator. That's the last person you wanted running. He still lost by about two and a half points, but the fact that John Fetterman won this race— And you saw what happened with that stroke. And my mom had a stroke. I have complete and utter empathy for what he's going through. But as you can see, he's not recovering in a way that would help him function as United States senator. And Dr. Oz, despite crime in Philadelphia, where you have a murder record made, uh, uh, what do you want to say? Accomplished is the wrong word, but set in 2021, uh, only to be broken again in 2022, in Philadelphia, when you have crime rampant and out of control in in that city and Pittsburgh and other towns around it, when you have inflation going through the roof, when you have a candidate you know is against fracking and Fetterman, even though he kind of tried to say that he was for fracking in in the 11th hour just to try to save some votes. And I could go down the list in terms of all the things that set up so well for Republicans in this election, and then John Fetterman still wins. So you can't help but then say, Donald Trump chose the wrong guy here. And overall, I just wonder, when when I look at big picture, Greg, and I think of a DeSantis versus Trump matchup, and I see what DeSantis did in Florida, Florida, remember just one year ago had more Democrats registered as voters than Republicans, right? And DeSantis has now been able to turn that state not only red, but like almost like Alabama red, right? I mean, (laughs) no Democrats won any state races. It's remarkable. DeSantis wins by 20 points. He wins in Miami, Dade County, Palm Beach County. These are deep blue counties. And he's winning with suburban women. And he's winning the Cuban-American vote by something like 70%. And then you say, okay, in a 2024 election, if... Trump is the nominee or DeSantis is the nominee. Who has the better chance of bringing in blue dog Democrats, independents, female voters and down the line, Hispanic, black, you name it. Is it Ron DeSantis in states like Pennsylvania, where Dr. Oz just lost, Wisconsin, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona? And let's face it, you got to win all five of those states if you want to be a Republican president or does Donald Trump still have the juice like he did in 2016 to pull it off once again? And I don't know if that's the case. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you one more little point here, because I'm actually writing about it right now. Donald Trump in 2016 was fearless in terms of where he did interviews. He was on MSNBC often. Think about this for a second. Like it's unthinkable now. <laughs> he was on CNN often. He was on Fox obviously a lot, but he'd also go and do Stephen Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel. Fallon, he guest hosted SNL. He was all over the place. Oh, and he had a Twitter account with 88 million followers. He doesn't have any of that anymore. And I wonder at a really close election, when he doesn't have those those outlets to to drive home his message, can he win? So yeah. I say this and then core Trump supporters come after me and say that suddenly I'm being controlled by outside forces and I, I have turned into this rhino and I'm anti-Trump for no apparent reason. No, I'm looking at at this like I do when I used to do sports analysis. What quarterback gives you the better chance to win? And right now, if I'm looking at it objectively, I think it's either DeSantis or a Yunkin or somebody I'm not naming here who isn't part of the swamp. And that's usually a governor, mm. maybe a Kemp, maybe a Nikki Haley, who knows? But we'll, but we'll see. But that, that's Tim the conclusion Scott. coming to right now.
0: Yeah. Um, There seems to be a growing consensus that it is time for Republicans to move on from Donald Trump. And that, I must say, is reflected in the polling data. A couple of polls have come out. The latest has Ron DeSantis vaulting ahead of Trump by double digits uh, in important Republican primary states. This is the Club for Growth poll that just came out in the last 24 hours. Has Trump's star faded, as Brit Hume of Fox News put it?
1: I wonder, Greg, we even saw it at the end of the end of Reagan's term, right? Like 87, 88 during that that, that election year. Now, with Reagan, it was different. You know, it, it, He was starting to, to go uh, from a cognitive uh, perspective. Uh, but even if that that whole aspect wasn't happening, I think when you're in the public spotlight at such a high level for eight years that it's almost impossible for your star not to fade. Even Barack Obama, people are like, okay, you know, a Democrats even like, okay, you know, good job. You know, we they think he did a good job and now we're ready for for someone else, something else. So remember, Donald Trump came down that golden escalator in 2015, right? And we're coming up on 2023. So we're at that eight-year mark. And I just right. wonder, when w- you say that, but also- when you think about it, what seemed to really change, I know that Trump has been attacking people from a rhetorical perspective from, from day one, right? And you, you thought like when he went after John McCain and uh, I like people that don't uh, get captured and you're like, oh, my God, that's it. And then somehow, you know, it only get stronger and bigger and faster. Access Hollywood. You think that would have done him in. It didn't. But I think in this case, going after DeSantis and Youngkin, who are two very successful governors who happen to win without him, by the way, I think that was a line that 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 he crossed. That a lot of Republicans are like, All right, you know what? I, I just I don't want the drama anymore. Because it's not like DeSantis and Youngkin. Mm-hmm went after Trump and he responded. This was completely unprovoked. So is he a unifier? Can he bring the party together? I, I think we passed that exit a long time ago, unfortunately. But let, let's be clear about something. Without Donald Trump, no one's ever talking about the border and immigration. And they're not talking about energy independence. And they're not talking about getting rid of all these tax regulations. And they're not talking about the top the swamp in the media, which he really exposed. So it's a thank you to Donald Trump for everything that he did. But at some point you gotta go to the next chapter.
0: Yeah the they like his policy positions it's just the constant chaos that ensues yeah. around him he, you know it's sort of like the uh, comic strict character pigpen in peanuts where you know wherever he goes there's this cloud of ball. dirt that follows him everywhere and yeah. here you know it's the january 6th riots uh, the investigation that ensued the mar-a-lago raid the threat of indictments are uh, Americans, especially Republicans, really just suffering from Trump fatigue? Um, you know, there's always a scandal, merited or not. And it's his caustic and incendiary rhetoric that really can be exhausting for, for most people. Uh, you know, there's just too much political noise and chaos, it seems to follow the former president. I mean, that to me, that seems to be the principal factor. What about you?
1: Yeah, Greg, I, I think it's a part Trump fatigue and part frustration from many Republicans that they just want a battle on the campaign trail to be about issues, right? Let, let's make this, okay, who can handle inflation better? Who can handle energy independence better? Who can handle getting crime down better? Who can handle the border better? Who can handle educating our our kids better? And on all those fronts... Let's say we made this a a matchup of DeSantis versus Gavin Newsom, right? Uh, Because the way you run a state is the way you would run a country in essence. So would you rather have Florida with 0% income tax, right? Right. And not the highest poverty level in the country like California has and crime rampant and out of control in San Francisco and Los Angeles and everywhere in between. Uh, And would you rather have woke schools or non-woke schools? And would you rather have a closed border or an open border like Gavin Newsom advocates because he's giving uh, illegal immigrants free health care? Which would you rather have? And then if you could take the personalities out of it, take Newsom's gel out of it and take... DeSantis is whatever out of it. uh, And it just comes down to a battle of ideas. I think that's what Republicans want now at this point, because they know Mm -hmm. they're on the winning side and they know if Trump runs, there'll be so many people out there. Those people I talked about in the middle, suburban moms, blue dog, Democrats, independents who will vote against him just because they don't like his personality. And that's right. where you lose the election, and that's what we saw a lot during the midterms. It ended up being somehow, in, in many of these contests, a referendum on Donald Trump, who hasn't been in office in 21 months. I mean, Repub- Democrats actually pulled that off.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you mentioned moms and so forth. What struck me, Joe, was you know the swing voters, the independents that went for Democrats. They may be uh, unhappy, with, and they are, with inflation, the economy, border chaos, rampant crime, Uh, But apparently they didn't trust uh, Trump Republicans enough to give them power, at least in the Senate and only narrowly in the House. And, you know, as I mentioned, Trump's chosen candidates turned off those swing voters in every state. Maybe Ohio was the exception with J.D. Vance. uh, But Mike DeWine won the governorship there by 25 points. Uh, Vance won by what, five or six. So that that speaks volumes of what was going on. Um, the, these candidates, uh, were too wedded to Trump's fixation on a stolen election. And Americans have had enough of that, haven't they?
1: Completely. You saw it with, uh, you know, Kari Lake, who everybody thought was going to win going away. I mean, here you had Katie Hobbs, the Democrat who ran for the governorship in, in Arizona, wouldn't even debate. I mean, that's how she afraid she was because she was, you know, on the losing side of every issue, like we talked about, and still she somehow wins. I, I think, yeah, the J.D. Vance argument is a, is a good one. Like there's, okay, that's somebody who Trump ba- backed and he won. Well, yeah, because DeWine won completely going away and, and Vance just barely got over the finish line, bled that support completely. And now we see it with Herschel Walker down in Georgia. Brian Kemp is not on the ballot. He won with 54% of the vote, which meant that all Herschel had to do was hold on to basically only lose 4%, <laughs> right? Of, right? Of the vote that Kemp got. And, and you win you don't have to go to a runoff. And instead, there were enough people that either somehow voted for Brian Kemp and Raphael Warnock, which is I'd love to meet that that, that, that person sometime, but apparently they exist or they voted for Kemp and then left Walker blank. Right. So, again, I, I just the, the whole thing of relitigating 2020. And believe me, this is why Trump, you don't see him doing interviews with almost anybody anymore. Uh, And we listed all the places that he used to go to. He'd go to meet the press. He would go to CBS or NBC, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, because he felt so confident in the argument. You know every interview. The first question is going to be, do you still think that the 2020 election was stolen? And then Trump for 10, 15 minutes ping-ponging back and forth with the interviewer trying to say yes it was and here's why and and that will just turn people completely off because again he's looking backwards instead of looking forwards and that's what people want on their candidates what will you do for me to make my life better going forward not arguing something that happened from two years ago that apparently voters are turned off hearing about at this point
0: yeah you know I, look i gave a speech in december of 2020 and wrote a column in 2021 i said it's over and be gracious. Uh, and, you know, Americans have had enough. You had your chance, Mr. Trump, to challenge it in court. Your challenge has failed. It's over, but he won't let it go. And now he's lashing out. I mean, it seemed like almost a meltdown. Uh, you know, Reagan made famous the 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of any fellow Republicans. And that was sound Policy, uh, but already Trump has been trashing Ron DeSantis, Glenn Youngkin of Virginia. It's only going to get worse, and that is self-destructive to the great glee of Democrats. But I guess we'll we'll leave it completely. at that. My guest has been the
1: thing, Greg. Yeah. With DeSantis, you see the discipline. That's what impresses me uh, most about him and his team for that matter. So when he was asked or his team was asked over and over again, are you going to respond to Trump? They just said, we have no comment. And when Glenn Youngkin was actually cornered and asked about it, he just says, look, I don't get into name calling. I'm here to bring people together and and move the country forward. Those were two answers that they should do over and over again. Don't try to be Marco Rubio in 2016 or don't try to be Chris Christie or all these people who tried to out Trump Trump by sending the insult back, because that's how you write your obituary when you run against him. If you just try to stay above it and you say something along the lines of, look, um, we have many serious problems in this country. They need to be addressed by serious people, and I only want to focus on the issues in terms of changing and and correcting all the things that Joe Biden has done to this country. So Donald's going to be Donald, and I know if you're a candidate running against him that you're going to get these sort of insults sent uh, your way, I would be almost insulted if I didn't get an insult, uh, because you know, that 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 means that uh, I'm I'm on the radar. But at the same time, I'm not going to respond in kind. I'm here to talk about inflation, crime, the border, education. List what you like. Ask me a question about that, because that's what the American people want to hear about. If they respond that way. I think Donald Trump, he's already self-destructing. He will completely self-destruct because he, he won't know what to do with that, you know. And by the way, when you attack DeSantis, you can't attack him on issues if you're Trump because they align almost on everything. <laughs> There's no real difference between the two. And that's why DeSantis is so appealing to some Trump supporters, because you're basically getting the same guy, but a guy who's about 30 years younger.
0: My guest has been my colleague Joe Concha, Fox News contributor who covers the media and politics. Also author of the terrific book, Come On, Man, the Truth Behind Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency. Joe, thanks for being with us. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening.